Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. We're going to share the experience of Arthur Jensen. Arthur Jensen was a cartoonist who, uh, who at a young age, um, was a cartoonist. And uh, he was working on a cartoon strip called Adventurous Willie Wispo. And the character was to be a hobo. And, uh, and so he decided to, well, it, it's unclear whether he decided or this just happened. I, I get the impression he decided to live the life of a hobo um, in order to understand his character and so forth. And uh, this happened during the Great Depression. And as he's bumming a ride, as, as he puts it, um, from uh, Chicago through Minnesota... Uh, and passing just across the United States and so forth, he was—he got a ride with a man who was driving too fast in a convertible. Now this convertible had a cover, uh, but it, uh, of course, those covers are not—you know—I mean, they're pretty much just a tarp, basically. And the car rolled, and though the driver was okay, he was badly injured. Arthur was. And so this is where his experience picks up. I felt as if I were coming loose from my body. While I believed that my body was me, I knew instinctively that if I separated from it, I'd be dead. My soul and body started separating again and continued to separate until I felt a short, sharp pain in my heart, which felt as if something had been torn loose. Then, some, then slowly and softly, I rose out through the top of my head. Gradually, the earth scene faded away, and up through it loomed a bright, new, beautiful world, beautiful beyond imagination. For half a minute, I could see both worlds at once. The earth faded away, and the other world looming up brighter and brighter, and still brighter. Finally, when the earth was all gone, I stood in a glory that could only be heaven. In the background, there were two beautiful mountains similar to Fujiyama of Japan. The tops were snow-capped, and the slopes were adorned with foliage of indescribable beauty. Since there was no pollution, haze, or other obstruction to mar one's vision, all the details were sharp and clear. The mountains appeared uh, to be about 15 miles away, Yet I could see individual flowers growing on their slopes. I estimated my vision to be about a hundred times better than that on earth. While I stood there marveling, I saw twenty people beyond the first trees, playing a singing-dancing game, something like Skip to Malu. And I'm going to interject here. Remember, this is like the 30s that this is going on, so um, or, or during the Great Depression anyway. They were having a hilarious time holding hands and dancing in a circle, fast and lively. Their singing, their laughter, and even their shouting was melodious. As soon as they saw me, four of the players left the game game and joyfully skipped over to greet me. As they approached, I estimated their ages to be 130 to 20 and 112. Their bodies seemed almost weightless, and the grace and beauty of their, uh, and of their easy movements was fascinating to watch. 
as the heaven people gathered around, the oldest, largest, and strongest-looking man announced pleasantly, You are in the land of the dead. We lived on earth just like you till we came here. With unbounded enthusiasm, I shouted, This is wonderful! It's marvelous, they answered. Then with delight they told me how I could swim around in a lake as long as I pleased, and when I came out I'd be dry. Another one said, You can run, jump, dance, and sing as much as you want, and you'll never get tired. Then I noticed that the landscape was gradually becoming familiar. It seemed as if I had been here before. I remembered what was on the other side of the mountains. Then I sudden, with a sudden burst of joy, I realized that this was my real home. Back on earth, I'd been a visitor, a misfit, and a homesick stranger. With a sigh of relief, I said to myself, Thanks, God, I'm back again. This time I'll stay. Then the oldest man, who looked like a Greek god, continued to explain, Everything over here is pure. The elements don't mix or break down as they do on earth. Everything is kept in place by an all-pervading master vibration, which prevents aging. That's why things don't get dirty or wear out, and why everything looks so bright and new. Then I understood how heaven, let's see, then I understood how heaven could be eternal. Next, I noticed that I was loving everything and everybody, and it was making me intensely happy. Apparently, only the good in me had survived. Without the bad, which is discord, I was happy beyond anything I had ever known. My next question was, how do you explain this intense happiness? Your thoughts are vibrations which are controlled by the master vibration. It neutralizes all negative thoughts and lets you think only the good thoughts, such as love, freedom, and happiness. Then what becomes of the old grouches? They are too bad. They, or if, if they are too bad, they go to a realm of lower vibrations where their kind of thoughts can live. <clears throat> if they came here, the master vibration would annihilate them. Uh, after death, people gravitate into homogenous groups according to the rate of their soul's vibration. In the percent of, if the percent of discord in a person is small, it can be eliminated by a master by the master vibration. Then the remaining good can live on here. For example, if a person were seventy percent good and thirty percent bad, the bad could be eliminated by the master vibration, and the remaining good welcomed into heaven. However, if the person, or if the percentage of bad were too high, this couldn't be done. The person would have to gravitate to a lower level and live with people of his own kind. In the hereafter, in the hereafter, each person lives in the kind of heaven or hell that he prepared for himself while on the earth. If you threw a small pebble into a threshing machine, it would go into a box, not because it is good or bad, but because of its proper size and weight. It's the same way here. No one sends you anywhere. You are sorted by the high or low vibrations of your soul. Everyone goes where he fits in. High vibrations indicate love and spiritual development, while low vibrations indicate debasement and evil. 
When I asked what a person should do while on earth to make it better for him when he dies, he answered, All you can do is develop along the, the lines of unselfish love. People don't come here because of their good deeds, or because they believe this or that, or because they fit in and belong. Oh, but because they fit in and belong. Good deeds are the natural result of being good, and bad deeds are the natural result of being bad. Each carries its own reward and punishment. It's what you are that counts. While we talked, my mind, or whatever I had to think with, became crystal clear. Instantly and without effort, I could remember everything I had ever known. I seemed to understand the earth and all about it. The whole scheme of life was plain as day. Everything on earth has its purpose. It all fits into a pattern which will, in the end, work out for justice and good. People worry because of their incomplete viewpoints. They don't realize that trouble is nature's way of teaching lessons that won't be learned otherwise. If we'd only learn from other people's troubles, we could avoid most of our own. While we were still talking, and I was enjoying the ecstasy of heaven, my friend gently announced, You can't stay here any longer. You have to go back to earth. Back to earth? Oh no, not, not back to that horrible place. But already I was leaving this, this beautiful land and slipping back into my body. Still enough in heaven to make or to have no inhibitions, and yet far enough back into my body to have terrible thoughts. Like a kid having a tantrum, I kicked and screamed, Let me stay! Let me stay! But all my protesting did no good. As I moved farther back into my body, there was a painful, prickly feeling all over, similar to a foot waking up. Also, a crowded feeling as if the real me was having to compress itself to get back into its hateful position, or pr hateful prison. The last thing the strong man said to me was, You have more important work to do on earth, and you must go back and do it. There will come a time of great confusion, and people will need your stabilizing influence. When your work on earth is done, then you can come back here and stay. So that's the end of his experience. Um, he writes some uh, answers to interview questions he often gets, so we'll read those in just a second. I did want to comment on a couple of things before I forgot, before I forget them. It's interesting that uh, he published this, and I'm sorry I didn't tell you this before, it's in the intro. This, and by the way, this is on near-death.com. Um, and uh, he says that, or it says that he was... He published it in 1955, which is interesting to me uh, because this was obviously before Raymond Moody and the whole awakening of near-death ex experiences in the 70s. He, uh, this was, it says, uh, in 1955, Arthur Jensen published a report of his near-death experience after much public interest. So I assume he shared his experience to individuals and they all wanted to know more. And so... He produced a booklet entitled I Saw Heaven, which is now out of print, but it can be bought from Eric Jensen. I don't know if that's his son or what. I would imagine so. And you can get on uh, near-death.com 
to learn more about that. Um, interesting. Uh, so it's, this was published before that near-death experience craze. Um, I really like his description of seeing the mountains maybe 15 miles away. I mean, that's, that's probably about how far the mountains are from my house. No, they're actually more like four miles away. So, I mean, um, they really aren't far. But these were huge, tall mountains with snow peaks, which I think is cool. So apparently there's snow in heaven. That brings me great joy to hear that, especially if there's no pain or discomfort associated with the cold. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but the thing that stands out to me is that he says, um, the mountains appeared to be about 15 miles away, yet I could see individual flowers growing on their slopes. I estimated my vision to be a hundred times better than on earth. And I think in, you know, a hundred times meaning more than just clearer vision, but actually being able to see and perceive things at much greater distance, much, much greater distance. How cool is that? I mean, I look out and I can make out a few individual trees, especially along the peak, but just barely. And I certainly can't, couldn't tell you what kind they are or or, you know, uh, comparative height or whatever. I mean, you know, they're, they're just little pokes out of the mountain, you know, like hairs sticking out of the mountain, basically. But to him, who was looking at mountains much further away, um, he could see individual flowers along their slopes. That is so cool. You could just sit there and observe the mountain for all day and just watch the animals moving by. I mean, how cool is that? But how much else you could do too it's so cool now he has a cool little uh, picture he's a cartoonist remember so he has this cartoon it really is a cartoon um of this experience it's not a multi-panel thing it's just a single image but it just shows the mountains in the distance him coming and people you know kind of prancing toward him clearly there it's almost like they're leaping towards him. So, I mean, that kind of weightlessness that uh, he talks about. I love how it describes what they tell him. Um, how you can swim all day and not get tired. And when you get out, you won't even be wet. And uh, you can dance and sing as much as you want to. And you'll never get tired. I love that. And he talks of, of muse, uh, melodious uh, the melodious sounds of their shouting and, and cheering and laughing. Um, and he's this whole description of the 70% good, 30% bad, and all that stuff is really quite fascinating. So um, seems to indicate that what you are becomes more fully what you are. If you're only 2% bad, for example, and the rest of you is just good, that... 2% can be eliminated in some way. I love it. I love it. Um, so now let's go to the questions that uh, people ask him, often ask him. And we may not have time for all of these because um, this is even longer than the experience, all these questions. But uh, um, when he's asked, can you tell us a little more about heaven? He says, heaven is really hard to describe in earth language because our words aren't adequate to describe things beyond our imaginations. However, the heaven I saw is characterized by its vivid greenness, its crystalline cleanness, 
its newness, its all-pervading music, and its overall beauty, all of which are maintained by the master vibration. It's a glorious, lively place with an outflowing happiness that's uncontainable. It's an over-answer to everything we should have. And so far, as I know, it's our final home for the soul. Or it's a final home for the soul. It's not a place of rest, as so many tired people picture it, because no one there gets tired. It's more like a new lease on life. No one could possibly use all the bubbling energy that wells up in his, from his diaphragm. It's a lively, hilarious place that's unbelievably sweet, serene, and melodious. The people there remind me of uninhibited, carefree children before well-meaning adults work them over. <laughs> in heaven, we're, where all people re really love each other, there are no inhibitions or need for them. Everyone does exactly as he pleases. This works out well because only the best in each person survives, and good is all anyone wants to do. This allows a freedom and happiness that people on earth can't imagine. On earth, where everyone is more or less evil, we need thousands of laws and inhibitions to keep order. For some people, these restrictions are so severe that they become depressed, which may cause them to commit suicide. But in heaven, there are no restrictions. People want to live forever. Okay, I'm going to comment on that. That's interesting um, how he says that... Uh, there is more freedom because the bad is taken out of them. That kind of um, illustrates to me possib uh, possibly more of the reason for the need for our earth life. We have to have the good and the bad together in order to wrestle with them, in order to be able to recognize that there is a difference between a real difference between good and evil, and to experience both the good and the bad, and uh, and then to be able to really choose between them. And based on what we choose, if we choose good, we will be mostly good, and therefore we'll lean toward the good, and we'll continue on that path, and the bad will be removed. Okay, let's go on to the next one. This is kind of a funny one. What can you tell us about hell? Not much. But I hear it's a cool place. Heat is mo molecules in motion, while cold is their lack of motion. Likewise, love is a fast vibration of the soul, while hate is a slower vibration. Complete love would be God, while he, or while complete hate would be death, leaving the soul extinct. The temperature in heaven was just right, neither hot nor cold. But the stranger who said he'd been in hell three weeks, described it as a dark, dank, chilly, frightening place, a place where everyone retains their physical desires without a way to satisfy them. For example, the glutton can't eat because he has no physical body. The alcoholic can't drink for the same reason. Neither can the smoker smoke, nor the drug addict get a fix. The miser can't protect his money, and the sex maniac, who doesn't believe in love, finds it impossible to satisfy his lust. Hell is real hell for anyone who lives only to satisfy his selfish desires. 
Without physical bodies, feelings of hate and fear are intensified as souls vainly try to hide from their enemies. Their only hope is to reincarnate. Then, unfortunately, when they do, they may forget all about their torment in hell and again lead lives of greed and tyranny. This miserable cycle can continue forever unless they find salvation in one of their lifetimes. Some people really need a savior since they are not able to help themselves. I'm sure Christ incarnated to help them because he said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, that's the end of that one. Interesting take on reincarnation there. Uh, um, for those who subscribe to it, that is uh, an explanation that, that makes sense. Um, interesting that he describes hell as a cold place, while heaven is warm. It, it makes me think that the higher your vibration is, or the better you are, probably the hotter it is too, but that is where you will be comfortable. You know, you think of of animals that, that live in 30 degree um, temperature most comfortably. Um, they come into 70 degrees and it's roasting for them, you know. <laughs> I don't know if that's a, an exact uh, uh, comparison, but interesting. And I do want to reiterate for any of you who are skeptical about any of this that uh, remember these uh, um, to regard what they the person experiences not always what how they interpret it and you know you definitely hear how they interpret it so you have that to work with but uh, but recognize that while their experience is one thing their interpretation of it is another and it's true that they are in a better situation to interpret it than most of us because we're not the ones who experienced it and therefore there is certainly something to be said for their interpretation but you know like i said you you know um i believe their experiences i sometimes accept their uh their interpretations okay next question how does a person get ahead in the next world you don't there's no place in heaven for discontent or personal ambition you may not be able to change it at all after you arrive the Bible also tells us that when the devil got too ambitious, he was kicked out of heaven. If everyone completely understood the afterlife, he'd quit trying to keep up with the Joneses and start learning how to live unselfishly. Here we can change ourselves quite easily and should use this life to make ourselves into the kind of people we want to be in the hereafter. This world is a miserable place for anyone who hasn't learned internal harmony characterized by unselfish love mankind is only a chain what one does affects us all we should try to strengthen our weakest links in heaven as far as i could tell all people do is enjoy themselves they like they're like children who don't demand work in order to be happy into that question kind of interesting uh, clearly, this this guy. I, I'd be interested to know whether he was Christian and a Bible reader before his experience, or whether he became one after. But clearly, there's you know influence there um, along the Christian lines. Okay, next question: What is success and what is failure? He says, "We came into this world to have trouble and learn from it." Unfortunately, many people don't realize this and complain about their bad luck and 
spend their lives chasing pleasure, fame, and money. They, then they die without making any spiritual progress. And so they waste life after life, or they waste life after life. It should be obnoxious that we all take with us, wait, it should be obnoxious that all we take with us is our character, our karma, and our abilities, and that we'll have to live with people like ourselves. Therefore, our highest success would be to rise into the highest heaven through unselfish love. And our most dismal failure would be to hate ourselves out of existence, if that is possible. Next question. Why didn't you meet God and salvation? I didn't omit them intentionally. It's only that I didn't see God, Christ, or anything hear anything about salvation. However, I do consider the master vibration as part of God because it controls the universe and seems to regulate everything except the evil minds of people on earth. To understand God, I believe one, one would have to be almost as great as he is, or at least to be like Christ who is in harmony with God. On the other hand, salvation is simple. All one has to do is love so unselfish so unselfishly that his soul vibrations will rise high enough for him to fit into heaven okay next question what is sin sin is anything that stops spiritual growth the three great sins are not learning from experience letting leadership turn into tyrant tyranny and letting selfishness turn into greed it's an interesting summation uh, everyone should constantly check themselves for developing greed, tyranny, fear, worry, anger, hate, jealousy, and especially guilt. By conquering these harmful traits, we keep in tune with our oversouls, our guardian angels, God and the universe. Sin is anything that causes us to lose this contact. Then, or when the subconscious find, mind when the subconscious mind feels guilty, it is ashamed to face its oversoul and builds up barriers to shut it out. Without the oversoul to guide it, such a person is like a child lost in the dark. The only hope it has is to get rid of its guilt and reconnect with its oversoul. That's the end of that one. Interesting uh, uh, way of looking at sin um, and, and how... It's basically anything that stops spiritual growth. I, I like that. I like that. Okay, next question. How are we saved? By unselfish love. When we love unselfishly, our vibrations are so high that the only place we'll fit into is heaven. There's no other place we can go if we want to. This is a divine justice because it gives all the people who ever lived, as well as all the higher animals who know right from wrong, an equal chance to eventually attain internal harmony, which would fit them into some kind of heaven, regardless of their intelligence, education, indoctrination, ignorance, wealth, or poverty. Next question. Explain the Trinity. The Father, of course, is God, or infinity, who created and controls the universe. The Son is an individualized portion of God who has attained a perfect oneness with God, which is also our goal. The Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit, would be the master vibration, which flows into us as freely as the barriers we have built up against it will allow. 
that's the end of that one. Interesting that uh, he's addressing what the Trinity is when it didn't seem to be part of his experience. <laughs> but I'm sure he's thought a lot about this. Um, next question. Do you believe in the devil? No. But if there is one, he would have to be an insane angel who was crazy enough to fight with God, which would be as futile as for us to try to stop the sunrise. I believe the devil is a mythological creature or character invented by humans and used for a scapegoat. Grown people with mature minds like to blame the devil for their misdeeds instead of acting like people and taking the blame themselves. However, there may be earthbound spirits of low vibrations whom we may regard as devils because they annoy us through mental telepathy. These demons tune in on us through our low vibrations of hate, fear, and greed. They can be tuned out with unselfish love, or if necessary, be chased away by the stronger spirit of Jesus Christ. There's an old saying, birds of a feather flock together. The way to get rid of the devil is not to be like him. That's the end of that one. Again, uh, he's, he's addressing a question that he didn't seem to run into in his near-death experience. And even even the answers that he does have, he got from other spirits there. And we're assuming that they are correct. <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, I don't, you know, it's not that you shouldn't believe what people in heaven tell you. I think they're probably pretty reliable, but uh, um, again, you know, we're, we're dealing with... Uh, several accounts down, you know, this is his interpretation based on his, his knowledge that he probably gained after having his experience. Anyway, number 11, do you believe in predestination or free will? Or do you believe in predestination or free will? Both. Since they told me I had a destiny, why wouldn't anyone else have one? Obviously, our brains can only know what we've recorded on them, but our oversouls know all about us. That's why they try to guide us and keep our bodies until our, uh, keep us in our bodies until our life's work is finished, just like we try to stay in our cars until we reach our destinations. Yet, we have free will. Any of us can get drunk and drive into a telephone pole. <laughs> I love how he plays with the analogy there. Next question. What's wrong with fixed beliefs about the hereafter. Things change little in the hereafter. Suppose we have the fixed idea that we'll sleep till the resurrection of the body. Then suppose there isn't a resurrection of the body. We might sleep a very long time. On the other hand, if we have no fixed beliefs about anything, we'd be free to adapt to the new surroundings and fit in where we belong with no unusual difficulty. Everything has a play, has its place. Fixed belief are useful in prayer where doubt is fatal. Yet doubt is always useful in sizing up religious dogma, reading junk mail, listening to commercials, and the promises of politicians. <laughs> Interesting there. 13. Why are people turned off by religion? Any complete body of knowledge is like a spoke in a wheel pointing to the center of, illumin uh, of ultimate faith. Science, art, music, philosophy, and religion run into trouble because they are not yet complete bodies of knowledge, even though religion is advertised and sold as such. 
Many religionists think that they have the whole truth and the only shortcut to heaven. And in their well-meaning zeal to rescue wayward humanity, they argue, persuade, or even go to war to force non-believers to accept their formula for getting to heaven. Outsiders are turned off mostly because the churches can't agree among themselves. Some churches have even resorted to torture to force their particular brand of God's love on people who were perfectly satisfied and though they were on good terms with God already and, and thought they were on good terms with God already. But even though the churches have abused religion and the beliefs of some churches are ridiculous to other churches, I believe everyone should have some kind of religion or philosophy to encourage them to think and grow spiritually. That's the end of that one. I think that's a good thing. I, I think a good uh, way of summing it up. I think it's good for people to have a religion, but to have a healthy skepticism about what you've been taught in case there is more knowledge to be received. Because if there is, and I believe there is, but if there is only one true church, it means all the others are missing something. Uh, and, you know, since not everyone is in that church, we got to keep searching. And even if you feel like yours is the one church, you if you're not growing spiritually, then it's not doing you much good, is it? Anyway, that's my own personal thoughts there. Um, next question, what is God like? I don't know. I didn't see him. But I did feel a master vibration, which must be part of God, because it kept everything in good order and controlled in the universe. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. People differ a great deal in their ideas of what God is like. Little children imagine him to be a gray-haired old man with a long white beard. One religious denomination believes that there is a Mr. and Mrs. God. Other churches consider God to be a universal spirit that creates and rules the universe, while the atheists say there is no God at all, until they get in a jam. Then they pray like there really is one. Under self-hypnosis, I once asked what God was like. I saw a huge mountain, almost covered with clouds. Here and there were small peepholes through which I could see lightning and great activity. Then a voice from somewhere said, To fully understand God, you'll have to be almost as great as God is. This put me in my place. But for reasoning purposes, I had to have some kind of mental image of what God was like. To me, now, after many years of thought, he's a combination of many things, such as the known and unknown laws of nature, light, electricity, gravity, time, space, infinity, love, and life itself. Totally incomprehensible. But since we have life, we must all be a small part of him. That's probably why we call him Father and consider ourselves his honorary kids who always need forgiveness. That's the end of that one. I, <laughs> that's an interesting uh, way of describing God. And clearly, like he says, uh, you know, what is God like? I don't know. I didn't see him. Um, but it's, I think it's a good and healthy thing to hear and, and listen to other people's ideas of who God is, of what the afterlife is like, of what, you know, um, is important, what's not important, how best to show love, how best to serve, 
Because if we're stuck on a single way of thinking about it, we may be missing out on some major opportunities to serve, to do good, and also to um, progress and become like our Heavenly Father. Okay, let's see. I am going to... You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue the next one. The next one is, do you believe in reincarnation? I am curious what he says about this. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 3. Reincarnation certainly explains a lot of things that would be hard to account for otherwise. From my experience, I'm convinced that we have all lived and died many times. The reason we don't remember our former lives is because our vast soul memories are not transferred to our baby brains at birth. All we know in this life is what we learned in past lifetimes. That would be the reason why some things are so much easier for us to learn than for others. For example, Mozart didn't have to learn music because he already knew it. One of the good things about reincarnation is that at the beginning of each lifetime, we are cleared of all past prejudices, learning blocks, and wrong teachings, and are ready for a fresh start just like a new term at school. And like school, when we have learned enough of life's lessons, we graduate and don't have to come back to this earth anymore, except as volunteers to teach stragglers. Since our opportunities for spiritual growth on this planet are probably limited time-wise, we should realize that in dealing with children, the learning value of any incarnation can be spoiled by indoctrination before a child is old enough to reason. In some cases, this is worse than murder because it may waste a whole lifetime instead of just a few years. Some scholars say that in the Dark Ages, the church had all references to reincarnation deleted from the Bible so as to better control the people by threatening them with hellfire. But they didn't get rid of every passage that refers to reincarnation because there are some that could hardly mean anything else, such as, He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of God, and he shall go out no more. Revelation 13, 12. That's the end of that one. And I, as, as much as I don't like to refute these things, <laughs> and I, I wasn't planning on that when I started reading this uh, reincarnation thing, um, but you've heard my beliefs on reincarnation. I don't believe it's a thing. And I totally totally respect those who do. Um, my argument here is that this life certainly is here to teach us lessons, but mostly it, it would have to be lessons that cannot be learned in the spirit. So among the things that are difficult to learn are things related to physical pain, physical suffering, um, loneliness, feelings of of not knowing God, of not being in his presence. Those are all things that you can't fully get in the spirit. I would, I would strongly imagine, you know, to strongly believe. It, it would make sense. And yet, you know, if you look at the time that we spend on earth and the things that we experience on earth, it's not one thing. It's, you know, you may spend a day in the life of an individual and you'll see maybe they, I don't know, they go to work, they, you know, do janitorial work at a, uh, we'll say a hospital, and then they come home at night, they eat dinner and they go to bed. Okay. That's basically an experience a day in the life of. 
does that mean that this person did not ever get an education? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Did they not have a childhood? No, of course not. Does it mean that they've never been out of the country? Well, no, that, that's not, you know, and you could spend a week or a month with them and never learn those things. And my point in saying that is that seeing the other side, experiencing any amount of the other side does not give a full breadth of all there is to learn and experience on the other side. So there is going to be schools of some sort on that side. I don't know whether they're buildings or whether they're certain types of experiences. There's going to be childhood of some sort on, on the other side. There's going to be, you know, visiting other places on the other side. There's going to be every experience other than physical pain, physical suffering, loneliness, and, and so forth. Uh, and, and those things that we can only learn in a mortal life when we are separated so perfectly from God that we can't sense him, especially if we don't seek him. And uh, it's true that some people do experience or, or feel him on earth, and, and we're encouraged to seek him out. At least he encourages us to do so uh, from these experiences. It, it becomes very clear. But, uh, but it doesn't mean that we can expect to always have that feeling. In fact, we can very much expect to not always have that feeling. <laughs> so I think, I think looking at, you know, if it's this endless game of, of uh, uh, what was that, running around, dancing and, and playing, uh, that, that he experienced, if it was just a nonstop that, then that would not be that would only be a positive experience for a limited time. And if you're just being gushed with love in order to keep you satisfied with that being enough, then I, I'm sorry, I don't see that as, as a very viable afterlife or home. I mean, I suspect that there is plenty of play, plenty of laughter, plenty of doing, but I'm sure there's plenty of work and there's plenty of education and there's plenty of experiences and they're experiencing and there's plenty of of traveling and, you know, talking to other people and getting to know experiences and probably from what we've heard from other experiences, merging with other people and, and you know, experiencing their life in some form, learning from their experiences in some form. I think there's, you know, the, the opportunities for growth and experience and learning on the other side are probably significantly more expansive than they are here. That said, this life is very important because of those physical things that we need to learn while we're here. And like he says, the more we can learn them here, the better our experience is going to be on the other side. The more we'll be able to take, the more joy we'll be able to experience. That's just the nature of things. My little two cents. Okay, next question. What do you think of Jesus redeeming humanity by suffering and dying on the cross? Jesus was called a master because he had mastered all the problems of mankind. To help us with our slow spiritual progress, he magnanimously volunteered to reincarnate and teach us how to evolve faster through unselfish love. And I'm going to pause here for a second. I believe that the reincarnation he's referring to is what the Bible is referring to as resurrection. I prefer that word. 
because I am a Bible guy. <laughs> but, but anyway, continuing on. His teachings made so much sense to his followers that they called him the long-looked-for Messiah. And they would have crowned him king, except the, the ruling Jews, who were afraid of their jobs, had him crucified first. But their murder of Jesus backfired. His disciples and many others believed that he had risen from the dead and that he was the Son of God, and so Christianity was born. Then traditional Jewish sacrifice were such a bloody nuisance, the Christians proclaimed that Jesus had sacrificed his life on the cross to end all other sacrifices. And that's how the doctrine of vicarious atonement got started. It made good sense in those days and saved the lives of thousands of innocent sheep and doves. But now, 2,000 years later, it's pure nonsense. Suppose I were God and to please me you sacrificed a son or a daughter. I'd be outraged. Or suppose you cut a lamb's throat or let it bleed to death just to please me. Next lifetime, you'd, I'd let you be the lamb. If you gave your wife a bouquet of beautiful flowers, I'd love you for it. That's the end of that response. I, I, I think it's interesting how he says, you know, next lifetime you'd be the lamb. Um, I don't know about next lifetime, but clearly from, uh, from uh, life reviews, we learn that you'll experience being the lamb. <laughs> That's just the nature of, of cause and effect experience and reward. Next question. Will there be a resurrection of our physical bodies? I don't see how a physical body would be of any use in, in the spiritual world, unless it's vastly improved and able to travel with thought. At present, we can't even see the spiritual world until we get out of our physical bodies. The people I saw in heaven seem to get along very well with translucent spiritual bodies. That's the end of that one. As just a personal note, I do believe that there is a resurrection, and I will. I do believe that it will be um, um, have those abilities that travel by thought and you know vastly improved and so forth. But that's just a few of my thoughts, and I do have to apologize for being so uh, getting so many of my own thoughts in on this. I I can't help myself. I'm, but just know that that's where they come from. So you know, don't don't uh, uh, look less on Arthur Jensen for anything I say about what he said because he was obviously there. <laughs> he he knew quite a bit. Um, so what an interesting experience. I love it. So if you would like to give us a call, share your experience with us, I promise I won't, um, I won't um, um, give too much of my own thoughts about your experience uh, while I'm ta talking uh, to you, or if I'm hearing from you, I'll, I'll try not to tear down anything that you say, <laughs> and I don't mean to tear down anything anybody says. Um, I, I want this to be a place where you feel like you can share and and without any kind of criticism, if you will. So hopefully that will be your experience. Call the number 970-633-2278. Uh, also, it is 970-NDE-CAST. And once again, thank you all of you so much for listening.